during my first year of graduate studies, Christine and I moved into Vancouver. We moved into a studio suite. It was small, but on the 12th floor of an apartment building uh, just off of the UBC campus on West 10th. Uh, it, was, it was small, but it was, it was a really cool place. It had windows from around your knees up to the ceiling, a uh, 180-degree view from our one-room studio suite. And we, uh, looking out our window, we had an amazing view of the Burrard Inlet and the North Shore Mountains. To our left was the UBC Golf Course, which was beautiful. And to the right, we could see Stanley Park and downtown Vancouver. It was a really cool place to live. Uh, it was about a 20-minute walk for me from there to Regent on the UBC campus. And so one particular morning, I had left already in the morning for my early class. It was going to be a long day for me. I also had a night class, and I would typically just stay there for the day. Uh, Chrysaline was still at home. And that particular day was very stormy. It was, it was incredibly windy, and the wind picked up and increased through the morning. Chrysaline got up that morning. I was already gone, and... and uh, she looked outside, and on our deck where we had our barbecue, the, the wind was so strong that the barbecue cover was threatening to blow off. So she, she stepped out onto the deck, grabbed the cover, threw it in the house, and then she went back, uh, closing the door behind her, grabbed, to grab our recycling that we also stuck out on the deck. And what happened when she slid the glass door shut behind her is that the latch dropped. She was on this concrete deck, on a cold, incredibly windy day, 12 stories up with me gone and not expected to be home for around 10 or 11 hours. She was incredibly cold, just in her nightie, not prepared for this at all. The, the barbecue cover that she could have wrapped around herself, she'd already thrown in behind that door. And as the minutes passed, she became more and more desperate. It was so windy, so loud, she, she couldn't call down. No one would hear her. She did manage to get the attention of an acquaintance across the street in a different apartment, but, but that acquaintance just thought she was being friendly, didn't realize she was in trouble. Christine looked down and hollered to people walking in and out of our building, but 12 stories away in an incredible windstorm. No one heard her. She became so cold, so desperate that she actually considered crawling off our balcony 12 stories up and trying to shimmy around to an open window about 8 or 10 feet away. When she told me that, I, just, I was incredibly freaked out at the thought. After I don't know how many hours, the wind, there was a lull, and she managed to holler loud enough that someone heard and went and told the superintendent who came up and came into our, our suite and, and opened the door for her and sat with her, gave her soup, tried to warm her up. It was one of those moments, one of those experiences where you experience this great distress. You are in trouble and you need help. You're in trouble, you're in distress, and you need deliverance. This morning we are going to look at Psalm 107, which, which leads us through precisely that. It will lead us through, in fact, four pictures of distress, of, of desperation, where we need help, we need rescue, and then we will encounter a God who saves, a God who steps in. Now, before I read the psalm to you, just a few quick things about the psalms in general. Uh, the, the book of Psalms is a book of prayers, sung prayers often, but this was Israel's prayer book. This was Jesus' prayer book. The, these psalms teach us how to 
how to relate to God, how to go deeper in our relationship with God. I want us to know that. And there are a whole variety of psalms. There are psalms of praise, psalms of lament, psalms that cry out for help, psalms that call for judgment on the wicked, and there are psalms of thanksgiving, of which Psalm 107 is. Third, and lastly, I just want to speak to the texture or the, the genre of the psalms, and I want to uh, just, just say to us that the psalms are poetry. I don't know if many of you are into poetry, but this is poetry which is different than prose. It's not simply information being relayed, but let me read what Eugene Peterson writes about poetry in the psalms. He says, poetry is language used with personal intensity. It is not, as so many suppose, decorative speech. Poets tell us what our eyes blurred with too much gawking and our ears dulled with too much chatter miss around and within us. Poets use words to drag us into the depth of reality itself. They do it not by reporting on how life is, but by pushing, pulling us into the middle of it. Poetry grabs for the jugular. Far from being cosmetic language, it is intestinal. It is root language. Poetry doesn't so much tell us something we never knew as bring into recognition what is latent, forgotten, overlooked, or suppressed. As we read this psalm, I want to invite you to engage your imagination and experience the emotions that are captured here within this psalm. This, we, we, we come to this psalm as we come to any psalm, not looking so much for information, but for a deeper experience of God's presence. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along as I read Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those He gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. From their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest and lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. 
Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who, pours out con- he who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. In our time together this morning, I want to walk through this psalm and speak to four things. First, I want to highlight the structure and the, the contextual, some contextual matters that will help us in understanding what's going on here. Second, I want to experience, uh, speak to the experiences of distress that are spoken of and that are shared that we understand intuitively. Third, I want to speak to God's character and activity that is highlighted over and over and over through this psalm. And fourth, I want to conclude by speaking to the called for response from each one of us. So first, the structure and context. There are within this psalm two different refrains that are repeated four times each over and over and over again. We see this first in verse 6. We come to the first of these where we read, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That same refrain is repeated four times. Uh, Verse 13, verse 19, verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Four times, over and over and over, we encounter those words, that refrain in this psalm. Similarly, the second refrain we encounter for the first time in verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Repeated again in verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. These two refrains help us recognize the basic structure of the psalm. This, the psalm begins with an introduction and it ends with an epilogue, but the main body is comprised of these four stanzas. Uh, following the four stanzas, there is a Uh, what we could call a hymn celebrating the sovereign power of God. But these four stanzas with these two refrains repeated provide the basic structure of the psalm. Beyond structure, let me quickly note something about the context. This psalm celebrates the Lord's acts of deliverance. The, The foundational central role of deliverance that God's people experienced in their story, in their lives, was, of course, the Exodus event. For more than 400 years, God's people had been slaves, cruelly oppressed in Egypt, and they cried out, and God heard their cry. He raised up Moses, and through Moses, he delivered his people from slavery. He led them out of Egypt 
to the promised land. The, one of the most uh, astonishing, remarkable events that happens as part of that Exodus story, of course, is the, the crossing of the Red Sea. Jesus is, uh, sorry, God's people reach the Red Sea and Pharaoh has changed his mind and sent his armies after them. And so they find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and these approaching armies. And God miraculously delivers them. He, he, he parts the waters of the Red Sea. And we read that God's people passed through the sea on dry ground. And when the armies of Egypt pursued them into there, God caused the water to return. And those armies were destroyed. God's people were delivered. That is the central foundational experience of deliverance in God's, the lives of God's people. But it is not the only experience of deliverance that they had encountered. If you know the story of God's people, you know that, that years later, after the northern nation of Israel has already gone into exile, never to return because of their sin, the southern part of the nation, Judah, the last remnant of Israel, Because of their sinful idolatry in 586, they too go into exile at the hands uh, of the Babylonians. But God promises a return, that one day they will return. And so, indeed, that one day that happened. Let me read to you verses 2 and 3 of our psalm, this part of the introduction. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. This psalm celebrates almost certainly their return from exile, that God has gathered his people back, that he has delivered them once again in the return from exile. God has acted in their lives to deliver them over and over. This psalm celebrates not just a single act of God's deliverance, not just those two big acts, Exodus and return from exile. No, this psalm uses these four word pictures of deliverance, four scenarios, in order to speak to all of God's interventions, all of the ways that God acts in our lives to bring about deliverance, to bring about salvation. With that in mind, let's turn to the second thing we wanted to do, and that is to look at these experiences of distress. From the outset, I want to make one thing clear, that these four pictures... These are four scenarios, four ways of speaking to our need, Israel's need, to be delivered. These, remember this is poetic language, not prose. So as we read these stories, we need to understand them metaphorically as well, as images, pictures. We need to engage our imaginations. Let's look at the first one in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Here is a picture of people with no home, people who are wandering and lost, people who are hungry and thirsty. Certainly, this picture reminds us of God's people in the wilderness after they left Egypt. But it speaks to that, that, that lostness that people can experience, that hunger and thirst that we encounter as human beings. The second picture we pick up beginning in verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. It's interesting to note that in this case, uh, the suffering that they're experiencing is a result of their sin. They have rebelled against God. But it's a picture of those who are, are in bondage, those who are in chains, those who are experiencing darkness. 
We come to a third picture in verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Here again, this is the consequence of sin. These people have been unfaithful and they are suffering illness. They are at the gates of death. The psalmist speaks of them drawing near the gates of death. The fourth picture begins at verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Here is a picture of an encounter with power far beyond that of our Selves, danger, the danger of the sea, a, a mighty storm, a tempest. And these sailors are filled with dread. They, they rise up on the waves and they plunge down in the waves and they fear for their lives. Perhaps this account here brings to mind, in your mind, the story of Jonah. Four experiences of distress, four experiences of finding yourself in desperate need, in desperate need of help. Derek Kidner asserts this about each of these scenes. They are at once fact, that is these are real experiences people have, and figure. Scenes from life yet intended to represent Israel's experience, intended to represent our experiences as human beings. They are real life scenarios. People experience this. People experience homelessness and hunger and thirst. People experience bondage and and darkness. People experience sickness and they draw near death. They experience storms. At the same time, these are metaphors. They are images, pictures that point to the human predicaments, predicaments that leave us helpless. Uh, different, Different details, but the same reality. Predicaments that leave us in need, ultimately, of divine deliverance. These are images, I'm sure, that along the way we we can identify with. We can remember maybe an experience, but the sentiment we get. In, In this psalm, each time the people of God experience desperate need, each time they find themselves in this place of distress, Even the times where their distress is the consequence of their sin. What I want you to see is every time they cry out to God. Four times they cry out to God. And every time they cry out, God acts to deliver them. Remember the refrain, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. That leads us to the third thing we want to do. And that is to reflect on God's character, God's activity. At this point, we, we come to the central theme of this psalm, and we're introduced to it already in verse 1, the introduction of the psalm, where we read, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. The psalmist speaks of the character of God. He He says that that God, the God revealed in the pages of Scripture, the the God of the Bible is good, that His love is unending, that it it endures forever. And through the refrains 
we read, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. The, the, the Hebrew word behind that, translated unfailing love, is the word hesed. It speaks of God's loving kindness, God's goodness, God's mercy. God's love that never fails. Because of who God is, every time people cried out for help, every time they cried out, God acted to save them, to deliver them. That's what this psalm celebrates, the goodness and the unfailing love of the Lord. The the character of God, the attributes of God, who He is, what He is like, lies at the root of why people can cry out to Him and be confident that He will act to save. He is that kind of a God. That, that is God's character revealed to God's people throughout their story. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He satisfied their hunger with bread in the wilderness. He quenched their thirst with water from a rock. He brought them back from exile. God continually over and over acts to deliver his people. That doesn't mean there's no suffering along the way. He rescues them from slavery. He rescues them from distress. He satisfies their hunger that at first they experienced. But, but God acts. God is a God who is good, whose love endures forever. James L. Mays writes this, Hunger and thirst, darkness and gloom, sin and affliction, storm and sea, all belong to the general symbolic vocabulary with which the redeemed portray the trouble from which they have been saved. The God revealed in the pages of Scripture is a God who hears our cry for help. And we read here, what is celebrated here, is that God is a God who is good, whose love endures forever. And I want to note something for you. It's not insignificant, not, not insignificant at all that when we come to the Gospels, that we see Jesus giving bread to the hungry. We, we hear Jesus speaking about living water that will quench our thirst. That Jesus delivers those who are in darkness by giving sight. That he sets those who are in bondage and chains to evil spirits. He sets free, casting out demons. He heals those who are sick and at the gates of death. He restores them to wholeness. In fact, he restores to life some who pass through that gate into death. He, he even tells the sea what to do and the waves stop. Imagine being with Jesus in the boat. Jesus' disciples, most of them experienced fishermen. They've been on the sea. They've experienced storms, but they're in the boat, and they're rising up on the waves, and they're going down exactly what's described here. And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? And Jesus gets up. He was taking a nap. Jesus gets up, and he says, quiet, be still. And the waves stop, and the wind ceases. And his disciples say, who is this? Who is this? Because they've prayed this prayer. They've read this psalm. We read in verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. And in Jesus, they experienced this, and they say, who is this? Who is this? Jesus' miracles, his mighty deeds are not party tricks. They reveal his identity. This is God in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. 
He is the same God that we encounter in the pages of the Old Testament. He's the same God that the Old Testament people experienced and encountered in their deliverance. Jesus has come. Jesus has come to deliver. Jesus has come to rescue. Jesus has come to save. At the cross, on the cross, Jesus brings salvation. Jesus rescues us from our ultimate distress. In this life, there will be many difficult things that we go through. We will suffer. This is not about, hey, Jesus is a genie in a bottle, and he will, he will save you from every difficult experience. No, this is about in Jesus, we experience uh, our greatest salvation, our greatest need, our greatest distress that is estrangement from God, standing in our sins under the weight of that, facing the judgment of God, his righteous judgment for our rebellion. That is our greatest place of distress. Jesus in the cross comes to deliver us. On the cross, think about this, on the cross, Jesus cried out, I thirst. He experienced the thirst that is spoken of in this psalm so that our thirst could be quenched. Jesus was arrested. He was bound. He became a prisoner and went to the cross and died. And as he hung there dying, darkness fell on the land and he experienced that darkness for us so that we can receive, experience the light of forgiveness and life in Christ. On the cross, Jesus didn't just draw near the gates of death. Jesus passed through those gates. He experienced death for us so that you and I, through faith in him, might experience life. On the cross, Jesus went into the storm, the fury of God's wrath upon sin, God's just and holy judgment. And Jesus went down in those waves and he bore that storm for you and for me so that we might come out and experience God's deliverance. On the cross, Jesus faces our distress in our place so that we might experience deliverance. In Romans 10, Paul says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. He is that kind of God. He is good. His love endures forever. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will experience rescue, will be delivered. Everyone who comes to the end of themselves, everyone who humbles themselves before him, everyone who recognizes their desperate need, their desperate plight, who recognizes that they are a sinner and helpless to remedy their lostness, everyone who cries out to the Lord, will encounter the hesed of God. God's merciful goodness, his unfailing love. So fourth, how are we to respond? Well, first, we are to give thanks. We're to give thanks. Psalm begins, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And throughout the psalm, Over and over and over again, we are to give thanks to the Lord, for he satisfies the thirsty. He quenches our deepest longings. He he breaks down the gates of bronze and, and 
cuts through the bars of iron. He sets us free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. He healed them. He rescued them from the grave. We do not need to fear death. He stilled the storm to a whisper. He, the waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus is present with us and will carry us through to our deliverance to life in his presence. So we are to give thanks to him. Not just today on Thanksgiving and not just for the material blessings that he has given us, but we are to give thanks for the life that he has given us, for his gift of salvation, his gift of redemption. While we were his enemies, while we were dead in our sins, Christ went to the cross and Christ saved us. And so we are to be thankful people. Second, we are to tell our story. Look at me, with me at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Brothers and sisters, every one of us has experienced, if we are in Christ, we have experienced God's saving work, His deliverance, and we are to tell our story. I am always so blessed when I hear people's testimonies of how God has worked in their lives. Every story is unique, but every story is a story of deliverance. It is a story of salvation. It is a story of the power of Christ to redeem. And so as believers, we are to share our story, to share our story with one another, to rehearse it, to find ways to share our story with others that we encounter. Not only those in the church, but those outside the church. Not only those outside the church, but those within the church. Because as we tell our story, we are reminded of the goodness of God, of the unfailing love of God in our hearts overflow with thankfulness. Let the people of the Lord share their story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And thirdly, the psalm concludes, verse 43, Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. We are called to ponder. We are called to reflect on what God has done. That that is an invitation into God's word. to, To soak our minds and our hearts with God's word. To read his word. I want to encourage us, we, we don't read God's word because it's on a checklist, because of, of guilt. We, we read his word because as we read his word, we are reminded of his love, of his goodness, and we are reminded of his saving work in the story of God's people through the biblical story in, in our own lives. We ponder this. Ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. I want to suggest another great way to ponder the loving deeds of the Lord is to read stories of other believers who have found who, who, who God has rescued. There are so many stories that I have read of men and women who have been rescued by God, who have come to faith in God. And those stories, missionary stories, I could give you a list. In fact, I have a list here. I'm not going to go through but I just... Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. I want to challenge you to be wise. I want to challenge you to, to take steps in your life to ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. What does that mean? Maybe, maybe that means picking up a book and reading it. I know for some of you that might have, I haven't read a book since high school. What does it mean to ponder the loving deeds of the Lord? What would that look like in your life? 
to read accounts, to reflect on, to, to, to soak your, your mind in Scripture, pondering the loving deeds of the Lord. That fall day in 1998, when Christine found herself in a desperate position, distress, needing rescue, needing deliverance, gratefully that rescue came. She cried out and eventually someone heard her and she was helped. This psalm celebrates the truth that the God revealed to us in Scripture, that the God revealed to us in the life of Israel, the God revealed to us most fully in the person of Jesus Christ is a God who rescues, is a God who delivers, a God who is good, a God whose love is unfailing. How there is much, there is much for which we ought to be thankful today. God has blessed us in a myriad of ways. But far and above all else, we are to be thankful and celebrate this. Thankful for what is celebrated in this psalm, that is God's gift of redemption, which is ours through faith in Christ because of what He is like, because He is good. And his love endures forever. Let us ponder and give thanks. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for who you are and for your promises. We thank you for the kind of God that you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, that you would fill us with joy and gratitude for how you have worked. And I pray, Lord, for those who do not yet know you, that that you would move in their hearts and open their eyes to see you for who you are, a God who is good, whose love endures forever. Lord, that we might all surrender to you, that we might all cry out to you and experience your deliverance. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.